0: This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're going to talk about opening up a wine. I go for a corkscrew. Yeah, yeah, but that's not actually the kind of wine we're talking about, my friend. We are talking about opening up a wine—well, yeah. No, not that one either. (laughs) (laughs) Pull-tab wine. I love it. (laughs) I like the pull-tab, but no, it's a different kind of opening. We're talking about letting the wine breathe. Ah, Lamaze classes. Yes, we are giving wine Lamaze classes. Frankly, you and I could probably use something like that ourselves. (laughs) I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I don't know why we need a Lamaze class, but we probably do, today we're talking about some of the things you can do to when your bottle gets open to how, to how the will let the easy for you to say Rick <laughs> <laughs> we are going to talk about this we are going to talk about when your bottle gets open how to actually then open up the stuff that's inside it plus we have some big deal moments in history and uh, we will make fun of wine sauce because that's what we do it's what we do stay with us <laughs> You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we are going right to our mailbag of sorts because we got a broad question from Kevin Ostrowski from Beaver, Pennsylvania. Beaver, Pennsylvania. It's it's a real it's the name of the town. Kevin says wait in, wait is
1: his is his last, did he say it was his last name was Kevin Cleaver? <laughs> no, no, it's Ostrowski.
0: The oh, yeah. town next to Beaver is called Cleaver. There's Cleaver. <laughs> no, he actually what he says is it, the town is indeed named after the flat-tailed rodent and wow. he says he says it's a history story involving hats in Europe. Yeah, okay, sure, beaver hats. Yeah, yeah. I would however good the story is, I just like the explanation that it involves hats in Europe. <laughs> in any case, this this is his email question, uh, and I like this. Uh, I, I already like Kevin. This is his question. It starts with Wait, first I, of all, he comes from Beaver, Pennsylvania. Yes. Well, his question starts with, "I very much enjoy the the show. Thanks for keeping it grounded." Wow. He actually fan said mail. Rick, act- We got fan mail. We actually had guy who said he likes the show. This is great. Here's what he says. I understand the basis for decanting and uncorking some red wines early is to encourage oxidation. Please talk about what the differences are when you taste wine before and after it opens up. Mm-hmm. I heard some of my friends use this term, and I'm not convinced they know what they're talking about since they never tasted the wine before it was decanted. Rick, I know how he feels because sometimes I feel that you don't know what you're talking I about. I often feel like I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and now it would be one of, those times. Be one of those times. Absolutely. <laughs> So he says what wines would you wait for to open up and what makes you decide to aerate, and what is the taste difference. Great question. So this actually opens up. That's a really complicated question right? this I opens think you up should answer. It. <laughs> <a wide> <laughs> yeah, it opens up a wide question. Well, yeah. here's here's uh let's but let's start with taste and I will start with the taste part of it. Because um because many things happen. Yes. The the, the you know Uh, One really sort of almost simple way to say is that your wine gets a little rounder. Yes. As it gets some air, yes. It get things soften a bit.
1: Yes, but Rick, I'm going to point out that while we talk, you talked about flavor. In fact, those are textural changes in the wine. Very not flavor point. chains. Very and good I point. And I think that opening up has as
0: much to do with texture yeah. as it has to do with anything else. Right. Well, that's actually a very good thing. And so does actually drinking the wine. It has much to do with texture. And when we, you know, yes. this is a point you and I make a lot was then what wine critics? But predicts, nobody ever listens to us. Why so would we'll they? Just keep making I, it. I can't actually blame them. You know, one of the things. <laughs> that um but that wine writers tend to do is they tend to give you these lists of flavors but the right. truth of it is when you listen to human beings <laughs> talk As about wine, wine yes when you listen to them talk about wine they actually talk about textures it was smooth. a smooth wine it was smooth rough big. it was edgy it yep. was bite you know yep. and Harsh. it's and how people talk about food too even you yep. know and yep. and it is a, it's so so and i did it i i went right there on texture too and mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. it is you are right what the the first most obvious thing is that it softens the wine right you know, and there's there's a lot of thing that goes on, that lots of things that goes go on when wine is opening and changing so
1: let's talk about let's talk about the first one, which is what you called oxidation okay when you I, sli- I
0: didn't really call it that I called you, it oxidation but yeah we we'll get there eventually
1: when you slice open an apple, slice it open. Clean and fresh, right? You bring and often with a piece of my finger with it. Okay, well, we don't want that because we want to be able to look at the color of the apple without blood all gotcha.
0: over it. Gotcha. No salt, no blood. All right. Okay,
1: so slice open the apple, nice pip and apple, slice it open, and it is pure white on the inside. Come back in 10 Not minutes. Not for long. And it's brown. That's right. right? And what's happened? It's oxidized. Curse you, air. That's right. So, same thing happens with wine. Wine, however, has a few things that protect it from oxidation, one of which is acid. Acidity protects things from oxidation, which is why people put lemon juice on their apples to keep them from turning brown. It's also why they put lemon juice on salad bars. Wine also has, you've seen it, the little label on the bottles that says contains sulfites. Sulfites are basically a form of sulfur, and they also prevent oxidation. Those elements don't actually smell a lot like fruit. When air interacts with those things, they kind of cancel each other out. So the sulfur and the and the oxygen cancel each other out and allow the fruit to come through a little bit. So that's what's happening when we talk about letting a wine open up. Now, when is it best? Huh. Man, that Constantly depends changing. on what you
0: like. Actually, one more thing, quickly on the opening up, because this mm-hmm. is often the very front of the opening up process, is there's sometimes a little bit of SO2 left in the bottle. It's, right. It's a natural process that occurs in the wine. SO2 line. being sulfur, sulfur dioxide. dioxide. That would be one sulfur, two oxides, because that's the dye. I remember that from chem class. You don't need to know that. Man. I'm, that's all yeah, I'm saying. This wine's beginning to sound like it's got some minerality yeah. to it. <laughs> that's another, that's a long story. <laughs> if you've heard us before, we we make fun of this. Um, and so sometimes it's simple. Simply just letting that blow off. That, right. That's one of the first things that will that the, the, the wine in the glass will do. So sometimes when you, when you uh, feel like you can't really taste the fruit of the wine at right. all, that's just the sulfur has to go away. And that, yep. that doesn't take very long. The other thing that will do the same thing for wine, however, is
1: warming it up. So serve a, a red wine at 45 degrees, and it will seem really kind of tight and lean and tart and mean. Uh, serve it at 65 to 70 degrees and it will also soften up so there are a couple of factors here and it may be that you want to play with these a little bit I think it's a wonderful experiment to do at home
0: right and you know and you you have you have suggested this before and I have uh, foolishly given you um, you know props for it <laughs> <You> no <know>, it, <laughs> it really is a good idea which is to sort of if you want to know what time does to a glass of wine is to pour yourself one glass right and let it sit there while you drink your other glass right and then when you can come back to it and see how different it is yep. you know there's another thing that happens and and remember smell is like 85 percent of taste you know we yeah it, maybe more maybe more yeah. um, well hildegard Heyman says 85 and i'm yeah. going with her she's the head of sensory eval uc davis and a very well respected what does she know rick? what does she know ah, i'm come just on. i'm quoting her numbers so i don't don't sound like a dummy but <laughs> it's not working but if you think of what smell right yeah good luck rick right but if you think of what smell is well think about liquids right so if you boil uh Pour oil on top of vinegar. The oil will float. The vinegar will drop. Right. They're, they have different lightnesses, basically densities. Right. Densities. Well, I was going for the really simple terms. Right. It's the same of smells. The the uh-huh. the gases are simply just less. Some gases dense. are denser than others. Right. And uh-huh. so 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 just like kind of like your. Just like me as you're going, I know you're heading there. (laughs) So the different gases blow off at different rates. And so the lighter gases go away and the heavier gases. And these are simply just compounds that smell. And that's stuff in your wine glass. Right. So
1: the lighter, less dense pops out first, go back later, smell heavier dense. You know, I work with a master sommelier who says you should never swirl your wine for the first taste. Ooh! First taste. Pick the glass up and smell it immediately. No Ooh. swirling. Well, often I don't because I just need to get right to just, the wine. Yeah, but I'm... no, he's talking about smelling. He's not. He's not actually telling you to swallow the entire glass. Ah.
0: Oh. Okay. okay.
1: Lift up that glass. Stick your nose in it. No swirling. Then he says, put that glass back down. Swirl it around and smell it. You'll smell two different things for the same reasons. These are all part of what they mean by opening up and letting a wine breathe. Now. I do want to tell one quick story here, which is there's a magazine that did a really nice study where they gave these people four different options in terms of blind tasting. Given four glasses of wine, one had been opened up and poured immediately. One was opened an hour before. One was opened a day before. And one was opened twenty uh, uh, a week before and shaken up every day. The panel of experts clearly— Wait, wait, wait. wait. Clearly— The, the bottle was opened? Yeah. And, but it stayed, it's just the, in the bottle. Yeah, but they shook the heck out of it. You know, exp- uh, it got as much air into it as possible. Gotcha. Okay. Went through and tasted all four glasses. All of the experts agreed there were big differences between the wines. None of them agreed on which one they liked best. Sure. Of course.
0: Well, that's, that's you know, that's the world. That's there we the are. That's the wine world. Yeah. Really, the, so the one that was open, how long? A week? Mm-hmm. And it was still okay? Huh? Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. Well, 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 it's, huh. Yeah, good, yeah. Good news for people
1: unlike you and me. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah. Because yeah. there isn't a bottle of wine in my house that's been open a
0: week. No, there's nothing that stays open, really. I can't even get to that first hour. <laughs> I, I mean, we're just, boom. Uh, a bottle an hour, that's all we have. <laughs> yes. That is, uh, I like that. That's very interesting. And but and so there are all these things. Let's talk about the ways that people can, quote-unquote, open up the the uh, the wine. Corkscrew. What. We've, and the pull tab. <laughs> I want the pull tab image actually. Right. <laughs> the um so one of them is I, I just wanna I'm going to bring up aerators because I love the sound. Okay.
1: Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: It's just you know, those little there's the if you if you haven't seen these things, they basically fit in the in your glass. They're like a little tube. They look like somebody's funnel that yeah. had sex. And <laughs> <laughs> yes, and they kind of make this sort of sound, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. and what it is doing is it as it's pouring through the wine is sort of getting shifted around so that oxygen is getting into it, air is getting into it, and is there a difference? Yeah, A little bit, yeah, and, sure. But I I say if you like opening up a wine, I say use the aerators just because I like the sound. Do you? Yeah, because I, I figure I'm I'm a kind of a no tech guy,
1: so I have two. I mean, one of the decanters I use is an old milk bottle because I love the sort of. Low tech, low, low cost. You just pour it in an old glass milk Plus bottle. Plus, it's a milk bottle. It's gonna. You don't have to worry about dropping it so much. It's, it's pretty, yeah. pretty indestructible. Yeah. Um, but I've eaten at a very good restaurant, ordered a, a bottle of wine, and actually, interestingly enough, a white wine, not a red wine. And the sommelier came over and said, "Would you like to, me to aerate the wine?" And I said, "Do you think it needs it?" And she said, "Yeah, it's actually better if I do." And I said, "Okay." She poured it into a decanter. Put her hand over the top of the decanter and started shaking it like a set of maracas for a mambo. Poured the wine, it was delicious. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So there I, you go. Yeah.
0: There's and actually you know, you, you there's there's all the and you mentioned before, i I've seen uh, psalms do the the very nice, simple thing of of in a smaller glass for themselves. Right. Is just to to aerate it. And yeah, but smell I always it. remember Tommy Smothers' great line about that.
1: He says, "You know, I was always taught to really get the most out of a glass. You put your hand over it and you swirl it to really capture all the glasses." So, he says, so I said, "So, so yeah." So I put m- my hand over the glass and I swirl like this. And the wine always smells exactly like the palm of my left hand. <laughs> yeah, there is that, yes. Uh,
0: yeah. So th- those are—and then, you know, but the, another question— there's, there's some, what they call, quote, of a, quote aggressive uh, decanters, too, ones that are sort of shaped like a zero. You right. pour it in and it goes down both sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what those do is— it, you know, it's a little it bit like shaking. Makes the
1: guests in your home feel aggressive at you because they feel that's a really pretentious piece of wine it's, service that you've got. Well, in, frankly, on the it's the why table. I just
0: keep pouring them wine so they won't attack. You <laughs> know, I, I hate when the <laughs> so guests. The milk bottle comes in handy. Right? I've, I've had more than one party the guests have, have revolted. <laughs> so we, we, we try we try to keep that. At <laughs> well, a minimum
1: Well, the host, host is revolting and the guests have <laughs> revolted yeah, that's, and that's, everything's that's, good exactly to go. Right.
0: <laughs> um, you know, but so there, there's also wines that you some wines that require or that are more likely to benefit from aerating. Than young other, red and, wines. Right, exactly. Right. Right. Big, young red wines. Yeah. And the wines that don't, that are probably best not to aerate are? Yeah, old, delicate white wines. Right. And older wines, remember that, like anything else, uh, that we were just talking about the sort of the those compounds that you smell, as a wine ages, it's going to lose some of the bigger flavors and bigger smells earlier anyway. So when you have an older wine, right. it's, it's actually not going to hold together as well. So I mean, we have- it's a
1: little bit like people, you know. It's perfectly reasonable to pick up a two-year-old, toss them in the air, and catch them and think it's a fun game. You don't want to do that with your granny. Now you tell me. <laughs> now, <laughs>
0: all right, fine. No tossing granny. No around. tossing granny <laughs> in, in the air I anymore. I am right? going to write that down. Actually, <laughs> so that's actually a pretty important thing. And you know, the decanting on older wines. When you hear that phrase, what they really are saying is getting the sediment out. Right. Different
1: reason entirely.
0: Yeah. So what they're doing is they're pouring. You know, if if anybody's ever seen the picture, it's you know holding a flame behind it. Yeah. Uh, it's although it, all the high tech guys use a magnolite flashlight. Yeah. Now. I'm just saying, but the flame's cool. You know, as you hold a flame for your Light, you pour it until you see the sediment, and then you're done. And then you, but then you pour the wine immediately, right? So that is, um, yep, that's what you do with that. Great All question! Right. All right, that is, uh, did we answer it? Uh, I think so. I, I think we did. I think we got um, a lot done there. We aerated this question just fine. This <laughs> is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Next up, we'll take some more questions, and we've saved up a couple actually that are related to this topic because that's what we do. We are clever guys. Stay with us. <laughs> You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and it's time to open the mailbag for official, real reasons as opposed to just starting with mail. If you'd like to ask us a question, we can answer on the show. Go to rickandpaulwine.com. That is all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And by the way, look for us on iTunes. We have a podcast on iTunes, and we are charming on iTunes. Far, Much funnier on iTunes. Way than, better. Yes. Totally absolutely, way better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look for us on iTunes. Our, our first question comes from uh, Marty Tatterson in Roseville. Uh, she's become a regular listener, although, as it turns out, the reason is she's a very good friend of Matt Piscini, our engineer, and I frankly think she likes him a lot more than she likes well, us. Well,
1: he's probably told her stories of how many things he's had to do to rescue this show, so she's probably <laughs> just listening for the car Entirely wrecks. possible, yes. <laughs> so, uh,
0: M- Marty, uh, keep supporting Matt so that he can keep rescuing us. Yes. All right. So... Her question is, and we, we started to talk a little bit about this, and yep. uh, it was a good, really good question, is it, is it just as important to aerate a white as it is a red?
1: And the answer is in almost every case, no. Right. Because the compounds that you're aerating in red wines have a lot to do with the skin of the grape. That's what gives red wine its color is the skin of the grape. And those are things, I mean, they are complicated chemical terms like, like... Phenobarbital and well, maybe not that one. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yes, no, I've, but you got. I'm ooh. getting a hint of phenobarbital <laughs> <laughs> mineral character in this one. Yes, um, but but you do have uh, phenolic character <laughs> in the grapes. You have tannins. You have antioxidants. Antioxidants, right? Antioxidants are anti. Oxidation. Yeah, they those, used to be
0: pro-oxidants, but then they went to college. They, they, they changed read, completely. They, yeah, so those happens. antioxidants
1: yeah. are what you're aerating. Well, those are in the skins of the grapes. That's what gives red wine its color. White wines generally don't have those uh, because it's made, they're made pretty much just with the juice without much... Uh, contact with the skin, so they don't need as much aeration at all. The only time you'd aerate a white wine is if you open it up and it smelled decidedly maybe skunky or something. Sometimes there, if you aerate the wine a little
0: bit, some of that skunkiness will blow off. Right, and you know there's another reason too, and it's it's sort of I mean it's sort of intuitive if you think about it. We chill whites. We kind of like to keep <clears throat> them in a sort of a standard, not a, not a super cold, by the way. You, 37 degrees is what your refrigerator is. is actually a little too cold. Too cold. But we, we tend to think of whites as sort of being consistent. We sort of think of the white wine as not changing because we want to keep the temperature at its sort of optimum temperature. Now, there are certainly as a wine sits it does change but when a wine gets a little too warm yeah we don't like it quite as much so particularly white wines yeah, can be really gruesome when they're warm so in a way we are we are we're dealing with those two wines those two classes of wines slightly mm-hmm, differently mm-hmm, although as Paul just said earlier you did have a white that that needed some aeration yeah. but in, as a rule absolutely not it's yep. um it's so just you know pour that puppy and and drink it up Drink it. And if it needs aeration, you
1: will notice it as you drink it glass by glass over the course of the bottle. Yep. All right. We have another you one. You are pouring your wine into glasses
0: these days, aren't you, Right? No. I use a bucket. <laughs> just one large bucket. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's way easier to just chug that puppy. Uh, this one comes from uh, a man I actually work for on occasion. He's the owner Excellent. of 33rd Street Bistro, where I do these monthly classes. His name is Fred Haynes. Uh-huh. And they just put in some kegs, wine kegs. Mm. And so, yeah, he was asking, he said, what kinds of wine are best for the kegs, but what kinds aren't? Hmm. In other words, what kinds of wines would benefit from being sealed away from oxygen right? and what kind of wines would not? And I told him, but, I, you know, this is actually a good question because I realized I was sort of winging it. I'm thinking, you? To my, I know, hard to believe. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm answering Fred on on the fly, and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, so the like we just said about the whites that you don't aerate, especially the brighter whites, yeah, would be really good. Yeah. You know, Sauvignon Blanc, and yeah. that was one of the ones he had was a Sauvignon Blanc, and the other one he yeah. actually had, which I really was like glad that he did this, was a Torontos uh-huh, um, from Argentina. Yeah, and although yep. it is kind of some rich flavors, but it keeps its acidity. But they were going to put a Chardonnay on the tap as well, mm-hmm, and I think that's yeah. t- totally fine. But I thought to myself, you know. If there's a one I wouldn't do it with, it would be a big red like a Cab or a Barolo, something okay. like that. I mean, okay. not gonna, you're, a lot of people are going to be putting— Ordering Barolo by the glass. Right. But right. it does. But Cab, they would.
1: And it just struck me that— So I have a, I'm going to disagree with you. Okay, go for it. And I'm going to disagree with you not because—kegs are not a way of storing wine. They're a way of serving wine. They're a way of serving wine. Right, and the but, reason you but use they a may Craig. sit there for a while. Yeah, but that's fine. But the reason you're using a keg is that every glass coming out of that keg is as fresh as the first glass that came out of that keg. Fair enough. So you got a good wine in that keg. Go for it, because every glass coming out of that keg—and here, you and I have both had this problem. We've gone into restaurants that are serving wines by the glass, and you and I it's like the weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. So we order that the Torrontes from Argentina that nobody's ordered in three weeks, and it turns out that bottle's been half full for three weeks because yeah. you were in there three weeks before. You drank the first two that glasses. That explains everything. That explains yep. a lot, and I'm getting this glass it tastes awful. Kegs don't have that problem. Every glass coming out is clean, fresh and perfect. Mm-hmm. And so, as long as you start with a good wine in the keg, you will finish with a good wine in the keg. You know,
0: I uh, d- was actually at a tasting where uh, one of the restaurants what they did was they had a handful of their wines in kegs and but yep. they I got the same wines in bottles. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I thought I was trying really hard not to get sucked into this. I thought there might have been a difference. I thought that mm-hmm. the <laughs> that the, especially the whites, there was a brighter a brighterness. The whites were more bright. Um, they, in the keg. In the keg. Yeah. Well, there's a reason. Because yeah. there's less oxygen, because there's more wine. There's no oxygen all over the bottle. Maybe. They, they maybe just it just pressure. has to
1: do with the simple fact that when bottles get shipped and moved and stored, they are not as big a thermal mass mm-hmm. and they don't stay at constant temperature. And that keg, baby. If you're going to warm that keg up, it's it takes going to some take doing. some energy.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and it could just be as simple as that. It could be. It could be. Um, so may, so maybe any kind of wine in, in a keg is probably fine then. Yeah. All right, Fred. There's your there's your answer.
1: The only the only one yeah. I wouldn't put in a keg is a wine that you want to age for 20 years before you're going to drink it. God, be stupid. Because they won't age very
0: well. Either. Yeah, and you're not going to find those put into kegs anyway. So <laughs> right. I think you're in pretty good shape. That's it for questions for now. We'll have more in the second half of our show. If you'd like to ask us a question that we can answer, go to Rick and Paul Wine, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And when we come back, we have some really bad wine writing. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Ah, yes, that music means it's time for our regular attempt to remind you that some people really should learn to write or understand wine before they start writing about it in our segment we call Really Horrible Wine Writing. Paul, you brought in a particularly horrible description. And
1: <laughs> I, I, I was reading about a wine the other day, and included in this is the phrase pungent eggplant. Yum. Yum. Doesn't that make you want to just go out? First of all, I have no idea what pungent eggplant is. I'm I'm guessing it was a red. Pungent to me means intensely aromatic in a not good way. Now, I don't think eggplant is intensely aromatic at all anyway. So I don't know how you can have pungent eggplant. But the fact that some— It could be rotten. Well, there's a a happy thought. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Why wouldn't they have just said rotten eggplant? Yes. Because yeah. they're trying to yeah. sell the wine. All right. All okay. Right. So in the meantime, you got a winery that says pungent eggplant, and I thought that was one of the worst descriptors I'd ever heard in a wine.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that, that's that pretty sad. All right. Well, I have one, and this is from a critic, Remind, by the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The vintage was another outstanding one for this iconic wine. Many high scores, and Robert Parker had a lot to say to go along with his 94-plus wine. Spectator gave it a 93. Decanter delivered an 1875. It is not for the timid. This, the guy not, never said anything about the wine. Not for the timid. And none of that he never. He's just, all he was doing was relating what other people said about the I wine. I wonder if
1: this wasn't the same wine, because it would seem to me that pungent eggplant would not be for the timid.
0: This was actually Dom Perignon. Ooh. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. Well, I don't think that's pungent eggplant. Yeah, no. And Lord help you if you find it. You are listening to <laughs> Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Don't forget, you can find us on iTunes and subscribe for free. When we come back, we'll have some crucial moments in wine history. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Ah, the trumpets, I love the trumpets. <laughs> that means we're going back in time because one of the reasons we love wine is it makes us feel like we're going back in time sometimes, and we have a historic history moment for you. Paul, what'd you bring? Well, I had a student in
1: my class from Italy the other day, and he and I were talking about um, Galen, the the father of of Roman medicine, and one of the jobs Galen had as his official role as the doctor to the emperor of Rome was he had to go back and taste all of the wines in the Roman emperor's wine cellar to identify which ones were good, which ones were not good, and which ones might be harmful. So he harmful tasted as in poisoned. Well, hard to say. Mm-hmm. They, he just wanted to make sure. Mm-hmm. I think this is a great plan. I think you and I should volunteer for this duty anytime somebody has a big wine cellar. Well, we would go as in as long
0: as there's not poisoned. Well, that's
1: why you would go first. <laughs> <laughs> but he discovered that the greatest wine of the Roman Empire was a wine called Falernium, which came not far from Rome. And the particular vintage that he was most impressed with was over 125 years old. Wow. Wow. Now it makes you think. Before bottles, before no. corks, these were pretty how, oxidized how wine. It would have tasted like sherry.
0: Ah, but so was it a sweeter? It, it would must have been. been a it wine would have learn. been yeah. a
1: little bit sweet, and it would yeah. have been completely oxidized, and it would have tasted like a sherry, or you know, we these days taste Madeira. That can be that old,
0: yeah. You Um, know, because we have talked in the past, and I I really sort of love this note about old wines, which is that back in the day, wines didn't last very long. Most most of them were pretty bad, and and so they didn't have they didn't have kegs to store them in. They didn't have kegs, they didn't have, they didn't
1: have barrels, they didn't have bottles, they didn't have corks. They didn't so have So these were anything, just sitting right? in basically clay
0: vessels, most of them. Plus, they also didn't know how to preserve things. This was also beyond their science. And so, I mean, they would do some things like pour olive oil on the top because the they knew that that would keep right. wine. But they didn't really know exactly what was going on. Well, and the other thing, though, is that you're making a wine
1: here that would have had some acidity and some high alcohol and some sugar. All of those things are preservatives. So here you've got this sweet, rich, delicious old wine. I'd have gone for it. Bring me, bring me a bottle of I, the. I am for of the
0: Falernium, and I will crack that open for you. Your next gift will be a hundred twenty-five dollar, hundred and twenty-five year old Falernium when I can find one. For you. <laughs> very That's much. That's your next gift. Until Thank I you find very much. one, you're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm staying ancient with mine. Good. My, mine goes back. Uh, Thirty-three hundred years, three thousand three hundred years. Ah, yes. The first evidence of white wine, and it was in Egypt. It was from traces in a jug found in the tomb of King Tutankhamen. King yes. Tut. King Tut. And some historians believe they put it there so that the wine would open up. You think so? I think that's what they thought. <laughs> yes. You
1: know. But you so, know what was wonderful about those amphorae in King Tut's tomb? Each one of them had a little clay tablet on it. This is true. This is a true story that had the year of the reign of which pharaoh the wine was harvested, the name of the region, the name of the winemaker, and the style of wine. So basically vintage varietal producer all on the label of each one of and, King and, Tut's wines. And a Robert Parker rating? And no Parker rating at okay. that time. Cuz
0: usually they would be going no, for that. I that think sort they of would thing.
1: have gone with uh, Ramsey's because...
0: yeah, so the 2nd. Yes, Ramsey the 2nd. It's two thumbs up and <laughs> two thumbs up. And, and then the bad wine had the head of the winemaker attached <laughs> or something like that. All right, you are listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. By the way, uh, folks want to know why we are here uh, putting on a radio show. The answer is we we don't know. We don't know. We're just they let us. We heard voices. I heard yours. (laughs) You heard mine. That's right. We heard voices. No, we are actually both in the business somewhat. Paul knows a lot about wine. I am a charming guy, so I think that's enough Perfect combination. He he teaches an industry pro. He's all over the place, answers questions on allexperts.com. He teaches at Napoli College and recently was on a cruise to Germany, and I am still jealous. Yeah, that was a pretty great cruise, down the Rhine, tasting wines
1: from... Alsace and from Germany and then we ended up in Amsterdam where we drank a beer and it was pretty great
0: how yeah, fun by the way you know that is kind of a good a, a good point is there's a there's a, a joke but it's true in in wine country which is it takes a lot of good beer to make great wine yep you know uh, most wine makers and and wine folks will tell you especially after days when they're working and tasting wine not yeah you know, you know, the first thing they really want is a, a good crisp fresh beer and yep. frankly I am I am with them on that
1: Yep. Are you ready for beer right now, or should we wait till after the
0: show? No, we should probably wait till after okay. the show. Okay. All right. You're listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. Don't forget you can find us on iTunes and subscribe for free with just a click. When we come back, a few more letters. <laughs> You'll see in the bottle talk with Rick and Paul. We're back to our mailbag. And by the way, if you'd like to ask us a question that we can answer on the air or try to answer on the air. And but we'll give you credit go to rickandpaulwine.com.
1: dot com. That's that's we will give them we will give them editorial credit. We will not actually give them
0: financial credit. No, I'm going to lend them a couple of bucks. Anybody that wants to answer a question, no, you know, that's the, Rick and Paul wine. Yeah, that's. Uh, uh, I, I, my max is five dollars, and it's a dollar a week. Uh, no, I don't think we're actually. There's probably there's probably some FCC regulation that's that not, prohibits that us from doing air that. Forever. Yes, so never mind. Don't come to me for money. Uh, our first comes from uh, Stuart Spoto. He's a Napa Valley winemaker. He lives in Sacramento, but he makes wine in, in Napa, mm-hmm, using mm-hmm. Napa Valley Oakville. He's actually based in Oakville. Yeah. Um, and his was an, an interesting. And this is we hadn't talked about. This, this is what do you think of the Coravin wine system for ac- ac- accessing wine? You know, that's the for folks who don't know it's you it basically pokes a needle, a very delicate was well, not that delicate, but a needle through the cork. Yep. Uh, and and to get wine out of the bottle. And, uh, and then leave the wine in the bottle, most of the wine bottle fresh. Now, my sense, the idea is that you're going to just take a little bit of wine out. Now, my well, you, sense... you
1: take the wine out and it replaces the wine with an inert with gas air. so that right. the wine inside stays as fresh. It's You know, we were talking about the keg earlier. It's basically a mini keg system for an individual bottle of wine.
0: Now, my first question, back to Stuart, who's a good guy, by the way. I know him well. He's I really like him. And yeah. is, uh, what are do you doing just drinking one glass of wine? Yeah, because, I knew that was that your was, question yes, right yes, off the bat. But, yeah. um, but yeah.
1: uh, um, uh, Everything I have seen, I have I have I know a number of people who have used these who have very uh, experienced palates, and they all seem to think that things work pretty well. Yeah. There was a minor problem a while back where they had a One. malfunction, and so they fixed it. But um, I think in general, uh, the Coravin works. But it does raise that bigger question, which you raised, Rick, which is if I have a cellar full of fabulous wines, yes, if I were um, Charles Dickens' character in— The Christmas. Uh, Yeah, you're Scrooge. I'm Scrooge. I'm going down into my cellar. uh,
0: The phrase has been used. I didn't want to tell you. uh. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) I'm pulling out, you know, 50 cc's of the luscious liquid and I'm drinking it by myself. Meanwhile, I could be inviting a bunch of friends over and going through those wines and sharing them with friends. And to me, That's ultimately what wine is about. So do I own one? No. Do I think they work? Yes. Do I think there may be particularly professional reasons why someone like Stuart, who is traveling around the country or maybe spending a day visiting different restaurants and tasting them on the wine, why he would use a Coravin to allow each restaurant to taste the wine fresh? Absolutely but for a wine lover in his home i want to ask why the wine lover of course if he's using a coravin it's, we know why he's using a coravin cuz he doesn't have any friends
0: there is partly that yeah um, <laughs> it, you know it's also there's also a sort of a, a a tech geekness to it not a wine geek but a tech geek it's, you know it's fun to have gadgets gadgets it, are kind it of it is fun. a cool gadget it you does work know, yeah and for you know, for folks who know the story of the one what happened the one bad one was a bottle exploded you know, yeah. but but it was still numbers are pretty small, and the general consensus in the industry from folks who knew the the case or knew people who knew the case. So, right. really, it's total rumor, <laughs> right? But it's you know, likely they you know because what you do is you that's pump, what we're about here, folks. You pump the gas back <laughs> in yourself, so it, right. it was it might have been a flawed bottle, but probably pumped a little too much gas in as well, right? Which is what people accuse us of all, all the time. All the time, that is true. That is true. Uh, now, th- this one is a a broad question. And but it's a good one. This is a. I, it's from a guy or a. It's a guy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He's. It's uh, not about broads though. No, it's from okay. Greg Patton and Fair Oaks. Okay. And once again, this was another question that was not emailed to us. This was in, came in conversation, talking about the show. Yeah. And he said, "How do you make a decision in a restaurant? You get a list with like 500 wines. Where do you even start?" And I, that's that's a really good question because before we say ask the sommelier which is always a good direction but but I think that like, how do you start to narrow down your choices is not a bad thing to talk about cuz I know what I do okay and you know you look for the cheapest wine honey. on the list you go the next one up no, and you that's say not what I do.
1: I'll have a bottle do you still have any of that delicious no if I'm with my wife
0: I say honey so what would you like that's right <laughs> <laughs> honey yes yeah no, I I do. I, you know, it is look, it's a dilemma for anyone. First off, there's going to be wines you don't know and if you're guys like us, we have this weird it's a it's a quirk that is probably not social for the rest of the world, but we want to try something we don't know anything about. Often. So I'm kind of looking for something I'm so often looking for something I know nothing about, and that's not hard for you, Rick. It is most of the wines. That <laughs> 500 list is 4.99. That's right. um, you know, or the other thing is that if I if I know what I'm going to eat, and you and I have talked about this in the past, is that you, know, you sort of buy wines. You yes. should be thinking about what you're going to eat. Yes, I start then looking in in a direction. If I'm getting the salmon, I might be looking in the pinos. Right. You know, and so right. I start looking. I start looking in ranges of things that yep. are towards the food, and so yep. eliminated, I'm eliminating Eliminating large chunks of it. So then I might in, ask the song if there's as, a wine so I So I
1: think you've given a nice little checklist there. Let's talk people through that checklist. Three don't, steps. Don't
0: do what Rick does. Don't do what Rick does.
1: No, first of all, don't hit the microphone. Yeah. Number one.
0: Number one, decide what you're going to eat. Yes, which is, by the way, to go backwards, which is what we love about the wine by the glasses we were talking about sure, all the time. Sure, you can pick different things for different people. But you people. can have a glass of wine but to sort of get let yourself us started. Assume,
1: let us assume, for the sake of argument, that basically people are eating the same thing. Okay? Food. Y- you and I are both ordering a similar menu. We know what we're eating. Next, we would go into the wine list and say, what do we like with
0: with
1: Think- Bucco? We identify a couple of wines. And I don't mean specific Wait, we're, wines. We're
0: ordering Osobuco. That wasn't what I was gonna get. It is now, because you're
1: with me on <laughs> Fine. this one. Okay, so we're sitting down there, we're looking at the Osobuco. Now we're gonna decide what do we want? Maybe oh, it's Italian dish, so maybe an Italian wine, maybe a Chianti Classico, maybe a Barolo, who knows. So we narrow it down. Oh, wait, a bit. wait, wait. Can I just point
0: out what Paul just did, which is a really good point, by the way? It was an Italian dish. Yeah. So, so we you started go thinking Italian. about Italian wine. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's actually, those are easy. You know, we're thinking about it. For any wine drinker, it's not a hard thing to think. I mean, if you sometimes think about where the dish came from, right. you can think about what wines come from that region, too. Or even right. just that style of place. Okay, but let's not get confused here now. we're It's a
1: simple four-step process. But I am confused. That's what I do. <laughs> so first, decide what you're eating. Second of all, decide in general terms what you want to drink, red and white, heavy, light. That'll give you an area to start looking in the wine list. Third, pick a price point. OK, because when you're looking at that wine list, if there are 500 wines five on bucks. the list, I'm
0: back to five bucks.
1: Trust me, there are wines on there that are inexpensive and there are wines true. that are going to cost you more than a car.
0: True, true, true. So pick you, a p- price you haven't point. seen my car. Now, it's not hard.
1: Now you got three. You know what you're eating. You know kind of what you want. to. You want a red wine. It's kind of fruity and soft. And you're thinking Beaujolais, but you're not sure. Maybe a Zinfandel, light Zinfandel. And you're in the $30 bottle range. Step four. Turn to the sommelier and say, we were thinking of right. a Zinfandel like this one and point, point to a to wine it, right. that's got a $30 price tag on it, or this one, and then say, or do you have something else you think I should try? Right.
0: In other words, help them help you. Absolutely. And, and so you've you've narrowed some things down. You've, yep. You've set a price and you can sort of look at the menu often and see, you know, what the price range is going to be to help you decide what you expect that you're going to have to right. pay. You know, if, they're, right. if this is an expensive place, you might have to start thinking about you. It. It's going to cost me a couple more bucks if it's, you know, yeah. you. And so all of those things that you can do that don't take much. You don't really have to know anything about the wine so much. Exactly. It's just to know a little bit about what you think you're going to eat. And, and then you can say, look, I like. And then you tell them, I like big reds or light reds. Yep. And, you know, this is the thing that I talk about all the time, in fact, um, was just having this discussion the other day with some friends who were saying, you know, I had this great wine and I can't remember what it was. Oh, yeah. And I said, was the Uh, phone in your pocket? <laughs> and he said, well, yes, it was. No, and I said, did you take a you, picture Rick. of your shrimp, but you didn't take a picture of your wine? Yeah. Just if, they, if yeah. you find wines, this is, this is such a, a great, easy tool. Wines yep. that you love, wines that you hate. Yep. And, and keep them on your phone and show yep. them just to your Just make song. sure you know which is which. Remember the ones, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and let's go back to that little
1: checklist again and say, here's what happens when the wheels come off. So, you decide you're going to have the Dover Sole and Lemon Caper Butter.
0: Yeah, because I wasn't going the but It just didn't feel like it. I've
1: decided, okay, I'm going with the Prime Rib. Okay, now we have a problem. Now we need to be looking at two different wines. Now we're looking at two different wine lists. Maybe I order a glass, you order a glass. It goes a whole different direction.
0: Yes, yes. And then there is that. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah, always good. And, you know, we've also made this uh, point before. If you're out with a group, so a larger group, which more than two, you know, four, if you're, if you're, if you're thinking you're going to go through more than one bottle of wine, get, get them both at the same time and get two different wines. Have some fun. Right. Get
1: two different things right. and tell the, the sommelier or the server, give people a choice. And if you're in couples, encourage the couples here. One of you – or have one. One of you have the other. You can
0: exchange glasses. You can taste them and see which one we like better. Yeah, and there's one other part to this too, Greg, is that even if you don't – if you're not – if you don't feel comfortable doing some, some of that, quote-unquote, math yourself, you can – Tell the psalm what you're thinking. So you can say, look, I think I'm going to get this. I think I want something from in this range. You don't have to know a right. lot. But it does help right. them because otherwise your psalm has got the same problem. What you probably shouldn't do is say, what do you suggest? Because, you know, he, he, you're, the, she, he or she she's not going to know what you the like. The worst question to ask of is, what am I going to like? Because yeah. they don't know you. And, you got to give them some help. And, and, and I know Greg, and he wouldn't do this. But don't say, bring me your best, whatever, because right. now you've told them I'm going to spend a lot of money. Right. And um and and by the way he considers them all his or her children and most people who yeah. put together good wine lists
1: tell you that every wine on the list is good. That's why it's on the list. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, good question. Yeah, that
0: was a good question, Greg. All right. Um we, we have another question that I'm not sure that we're going to be able to answer, but it's a good question. It's from Jana Howard, who lives in Sacramento. Uh-huh, we good. have a Northern California bunch this day. I still can't distinguish between a of wine that is tannic versus acid. Oh. I'm pretty sure I understand acidic in wines, as I consider Sauvignon Blanc pretty acidic. I kind of think I know what it tastes like on my tongue. But when, it seems that tan tannins come more into reds, but I don't think I can describe them or find them. And I know that there is also acid in reds. Do I just need to drink more?
1: Well, yes. Although I'm I am answering Jana there. I am not answering that as if you asked that question, Rick. You personally do not need to drink more. Oh darn. You you I think you're fine just the way you are. <laughs> well <laughs> Why thank you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anytime. So I have a really simple solution here and it doesn't involve wine. It's very, very simple. Make yourself a glass of lemonade, make yourself a glass of iced tea, no lemon in the iced tea, and drink the two liquids. Lemonade has acid. Iced tea has tannin, and you will notice that the acidity in lemonade makes your mouth water, and it pinches particularly in the back of your mouth along the yes. edges. Yes, It's kind of mouth-watering, juicy. I always think of it as juicy fruit, kind of mouth-watering acidity. Tannin will make your tongue feel dry uh, at times, even furry, as they say, for a really tannic, really, in, you know, when you have a strong and often, tea.
0: especially if it's from the seeds, you often feel it on the tip of your tongue. Yeah. As opposed to the the back sides, which is the if, acid. If it's it really tannic, you'll yeah.
1: feel it on your teeth.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So
1: tannin is that sort of dry, almost rough texture that you feel on your on your tongue. And acidity is that sharp bite that you feel more in the back of your mouth. And again, just think: is it more like lemonade or more like iced tea?
0: And I think one of the reasons why you're having a little trouble with this, Jana, is that it is—they're not exactly the same. You know, the the acid will sometimes show itself as sort of brightness. And, and, and a little bit of a flavor as well as a sensation where tannin is totally sensation. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. really is. It is sort of the difference between drying and mouthwatering. Those, those two are the difference. And you can find wines that have both red wines in particular that have sure. both tannin and acid sure. in them. And the, all that's yep. going on at the same time. Yep. Um, and then the, there is sort of this. It, it sort of doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, I mean, it is, it is because it's fun to deconstruct the wine, but it really comes down to, do you like that? Do you like that, that sensation? Right. That's a very and good point. And then if, if it's a wine you like, you take a picture of it with your cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> On
1: the other hand, if Jana does this exercise and realizes that one thing she doesn't like is tannin, that's a really helpful thing to know. Because then when she's looking at the wine True. list and she's making a suggestion to the sommelier, she can say to the sommelier, I really like red wines, but I'm not too wild about tannin. And the sommelier can say, "Great, then I have a couple of red wines I'd like to suggest to you where the tannin is relatively low."
0: That's true. In fact, that's um, that's actually a pretty solid. Uh, it is a solid, solid point about. So I, I'm 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 the. It doesn't matter. It sort of doesn't matter if you like the wine, but in that's terms right. of being able to deal with, as Greg Patton asked, the 500 list wine list. Yeah. that is. That's kind of one of the things, and. You know, we talk about that a lot on the show. We talk a lot about uh helping you help yourself, you know, remembering the things you like and don't like. So in truth, Janet, yeah. you're asking a really good question. And and so sometimes if you if you've got people around you or your sommelier, there's a wine you really like. And you know, if you don't mind saying, you know, I'm still not sure if I if the thing I like about this is the bite of the tannin or the bite of the acid. What, what what is this? And it, it, it you can still help them. I'm thinking if them. Janet likes bites, maybe we should. Yeah, I don't know. It's not, you know well it is. I, <laughs>
1: no, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you on that a little bit, Rick. I think if she doesn't know and she accepts the sommelier's explanation of why she likes that wine she may not actually agree with that explanation. She well, may not it, know. It helps you think about it. I th- it helps you it think is. about it. Yeah. But but, um, absolutely right. Take a photo of wines you like. Do the lemonade and iced tea test. But in the end, I, as I tell my students, I am not teaching you how to taste wine. I am trying to teach you a little bit how to Talk about it. Yeah. And that, that's what Jan is really asking. Right. And, and, so, and
0: so that's it. If you can find a couple of wines that are tan, tannic, what is it you tell yourself about those wines? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then if when you do the lemonade and iced tea test, take a picture of the one you like best. And, um, <laughs> no. I'm, I'm, uh, I am. I'm just—seriously, the phone— Take a selfie of yourself. I have to yeah. say it again. I, the phone is your friend. The cell phone is your friend. You know, so many people take pictures of their dinner. Yeah, they, t- and they and never we, take a picture of the wine. They take and a then picture
1: of yeah. you once a week. You or I get a call or an email from somebody saying, the, "What was this wine?"
0: Yes, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was well, i you know, it was a white label and it was Chateau something. Yes, and a horse on. Those are good. Yeah. Um, all right, we are going to close the mailbag. Um, we've got a food and wine pairing for you coming up. Uh, it Excellent. will be both acidic and tannic. And that's just the food. <laughs> if you'd like to ask us a question, you can go to Rick and Paul Wine, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And don't forget, by the way, we are on iTunes as a podcast. We'll be right back. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. And uh, coming up is one of my favorite holidays. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You Which holiday yeah. is that? National Pie Day. National
1: Pie Day. Yes. I need to say pie's my happy word. Do we? Is this where we celebrate the ratio
0: of diameter to circumference? Um, well, it is actually a uh, baked pie day. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's not because that is three. through fourteenth, the uh, March fourteenth. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's different. This is Pie Pie. <laughs> okay. Although Pie Pie. Uh, You know that's people making pies too. Actually, they're making pies with the pie symbol on them, which is always sort of fun. And this is actually about the baked thing, and it is it is um, it's my happy word. When my trainers, uh, you know, they they take out the whip in the chair, they um, Uh uh and they want to calm me down. They just say pie. I'm sure. Are you sure you want this on the radio? No, no, probably not. All right. So we're
1: gonna each bring. So are we as as American as apple pie, or what are we doing? uh, We are
0: bringing a pie to the table. So bring a pie to the table. Uh, Excellent. And and mine is cherry pie. Okay. Because I. I love cherry pie. Cherry pie. Huh? And my pairing with cherry pie, I'm going with a ruby port. Yeah. The sweetness, the redness, yeah. going with the cherry, the creaminess that's of the cherry good. pie. That's That's yeah. what I would do. So there's a problem
1: with pairing wines with desserts. Which is if the wine is not as sweet as right. the dessert, yes. it will. the dessert will make the wine taste like vinegar. Yes. And that's not what's called a good food and wine pairing.
0: Yes, when we talk desserts, it's absolutely true. You should always be thinking sweeter wines, always yeah. should be sweeter wines. And, yes. and
1: really, I'm going to say sweeter than you might expect. Yeah, yeah. So if your favorite is, is um, a cherry pie, I think my favorite is probably um, uh, pumpkin. Pumpkin chiffon, which is really light and airy and spicy, and has all those wonderful things. And you can drink a you can drink a late harvest Gewürztraminer with this. Um, you could drink a Sauterne, but I love the ancient dessert wine of Hungary called Tokai Um and it's absolutely delicious. has some sort of nutty characters and some apricot, and it's just absolutely delicious. Yum, and it's ancient.
0: And your, it's ancient. Your wine's ancient. Your pumpkin pie it's ancient. is ancient. It not. is the
1: wine, the king of wines,
0: and the wine of kings is what they used to say about. Okay. it. Okay, all right, well, and that's uh, that's us. We are the kings are the- of wine. No, we are not. We are the jesters <laughs> of wine. And that is it for another round of bottle talk with Rick and Paul. Our engineers, Mappacini, and thank you to Capital Public Radio for the studio use. If you'd like to ask us a question that we can answer on the show, or you know, give it a shot anyway, go to Rick and Paul Wine, all one word. Rick and Paul Wine. Look for us on iTunes. As we say, you can subscribe for free. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's that air. Eh, it's good stuff. It's good. Yeah. I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially us.